listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Sentences when they're strung together, make up paragraphs. Paragraphs make chapters. Chapters, when you put them together, make books. And in our case of the Bible, there are 66 books in the Bible, and each one of those books put next to each other makes the entire canon, the entire book of Scripture, the Bible. It's important to understand where a word appears, how a word appears, how it builds on a paragraph, how it develops into a sentence and phrases, how these things come together, because every word has its context. Otherwise, you take a word out of its context, you take a phrase or a sentence out of its context, and you have gobbledygook. You have a mess. You just can't make heads or tails of it. Well, we come to Luke chapter 6 here in verse 20. There is a context for Luke chapter 6 verse 20. Look at what Jesus says. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Colon. Jesus is going to unleash here. He's going to teach. What would it be like to, to have seen Jesus, to have sat under his teaching, to not just see him perform miracles, not just to see him cast out demons and to see demons shriek at his very words? What would it be like to hear Jesus teach? This is what it would be like to hear Jesus teach. If you understand the context, he's come down off of the mountain, remember? He's come down off of the mountain after spending an entire night praying. He's picked the 12 apostles among and from all of the disciples. He's picked 12 of them who he's going to invest three years of his life into. He's come down off of the mountain. He pauses. He stops on a level place on the side of that mountain. He stops. And the disciples are surrounding him. And the apostles are next to him, the inner circle, so to speak. And Jesus not only has power coming out from him where people are being healed and demons are being cast out. There's not only this power of Jesus emanating, but his mouth is open opening and he's teaching. He's teaching and instructing the people. And what is he teaching them? What is he instructing them? It made such an impression that Luke records bits and pieces of it here that we are beneficiaries of today. In Luke chapter 6 verse 20, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Jesus is directing and focusing these particular words toward his disciples, those who are following him. There is a large crowd of people following Jesus. He's made a lot of buzz in the area. It's the original social media, word of mouth, nothing electronic involved. There's a boatload of people around Jesus. These are people who are following him. That's what a disciple is, a follower of Jesus. Now, there are different levels of following Jesus, different degrees of following Jesus, innermost circle is that of being an apostle in this particular time. Those, the 12 that Jesus called. But Jesus lifts up his eyes, looks at the disciples, opens his mouth, and he begins to teach. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. 
but woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets jesus is speaking to the disciples and he's contrasting two types of people there's the kind of person over here who is poor and weak and hungry And interestingly enough, in God's world, the have-nots are the haves. It's completely reversed to what you and I would look at, the way you and I would do things. God is saying through Jesus, Jesus is opening his mouth, the word become flesh, God in the flesh. Jesus is saying that when you're poor, when you're hungry, when you're weak, when you're sad, the kingdom of God belongs to you. Over here on the other type of a person that exists, the other type of person doesn't seem to get it. Those who are wealthy, those who are rich, those who are happy now have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, the blessings of God. Do you know it's possible to confuse the blessings of man for the blessings of God? It's possible to be enamored and caught by the entrapments of material possessions, things, stuff. We, we should probably all have one yard sale a year to remind us of how easy it is to lean upon, rest upon, and massage and caress the things of this world as if that's where our real life resides. Jesus is saying there are the not yets and the here and nows. The not yets and the here and nows. Which are you? He raised his eyes to the disciples. If you were there, he'd be looking at you. If you were there, he'd be either talking about you or talking about somebody else. But you would be there. You'd be listening to Jesus. You'd be hanging on his every word. You'd be mesmerized by what he's saying. And you'd be caught by what he's saying because it flew in the face of what people were used to. Deuteronomy chapter 28 seems to make it very clear that the blessing of God is often affiliated, often associated with material wealth, material provision, the whole idea of the promised land. I mean, read your Bible. There is something to be said about God blessing his people with material possessions. It's not a problem for God to bless us with material possessions. The problem is when we begin to covet the material possessions. When the material possessions, the things that God gives us and blesses us with become more important than the God who's given them. And Jesus is saying there's two types of people. And as Jesus was speaking then, and as he's speaking now, you have to understand, you have to receive what Jesus is saying and put yourself there on the side of the mountain at the level place, hearing these words of Jesus. You have to put yourself there. You are there, and you're hearing Jesus say these things. Which one are you? Are you a not yet or here and now? Which one are you? Do you want the kingdom of God? And are you willing to demonstrate some delayed gratification? For the kingdom of God. Are you willing to embrace the things that are God's priority or are you somebody who's got to have it here and now? Jesus says, blessed. Blessed are you 
who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. The laughter is not necessarily for here and now, but it's coming one day. But notice that Jesus says, poor, hungry, and weep. Those who are poor, those who are hungry, and those who are weep, there's something about not having food. There's something about having a lack in your life that creates a holy discontentedness. And if you don't believe me, try fasting. If that concept is foreign to you, try abstaining from food for a while. And you will quickly understand. It will quickly come to your remembrance. You will quickly grasp how much of life revolves around the material things. How much of life revolves around food. Basic sustenance. Remember, it's Jesus who reminds us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The things that Jesus is referencing here, the poor, the sorrowful, the weak, the lonely, the outcasts of society, when you have a lack in your life, it is one of the biggest, best blessings you could ever have in your life because that is what reminds you, it reminds you that your greatest need, the greatest, most significant need in your life is for God himself. When we have abundance, when we have wealth, when we have a lot of money, when we can get whatever we want at our disposal, whether it's through wise stewardship or whether it's through poor stewardship and you just have a lot of money coming in, when you have the resources of this world at your fingertips, you are in danger. A man and a woman is never more in danger, never in greater danger than when they are wealthy. Because when you are wealthy, you will be tempted to forget where the wealth came from. When you are wealthy, you will be tempted to forget your need for God. A poor person, a sorrowful person, somebody who has a real need, a void in their life, it's easy to convince them of their need for God. Because God has blessed them, blessed them with the lack. Stop looking at your cup as being half empty. It is half full. Your need is one of the greatest gifts, one of the best blessings that God has ever given you. Because with that need comes the perpetual, continual awareness for God, for his provision, for his presence for his blessing in your life. In fact, Jesus says it well in Mark chapter 10. He says this, Mark chapter 10. Listen carefully, verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man came up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus kind of winking at him, having the man read between the lines, drawing him in, making him thirsty for truth, understanding that he himself is God in the flesh. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. The man is a little bit self-deceived. 
And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Who was he talking to? The disciples again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, you get a good idea of the eye contact and the facial expressions here. Jesus looked at them. And he said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Do you understand that a rich person does not understand their need for God, even if you are a follower of Jesus Christ? You have one of the greatest temptations that could ever be known to mankind. The blessing of God can end up being your undoing if you don't know how to handle it properly. And it's not a matter of winning the lottery. You don't have to be a multi-millionaire to be a rich person. You can have enough money on your hands that you have spending money. You have discretionary income. How are you using your discretionary income? It reveals your attitude toward God. It reveals your character. It reveals your gratitude. It reveals your humility. Because what Jesus is really saying here, when he talks about the poor, when he talks about those who weep, when he talks about those who are hungry, he's talking about people who are humble. Because the humble person recognizes their need. The humble person recognizes that they do not have the ability for even something as simple as food because they're looking for it. I remember in my own life when I was what I believed to be clinically depressed for a number of years. I didn't know it at the time. I just knew that I was terribly miserable. I didn't know what it was like to laugh or be happy. Something had happened in my life that upset the apple cart. And I remember how absolutely miserable I was. And it was that very gift that God gave me that caused me perpetually, continually to tug at his robe, to pursue him, to go after him. That's what led me to diligently seeking him with my good friend Tom, that we would spend hours every Monday praying together on our faces, seeking the Lord, because we both had a real need. We both were miserable people for different reasons, and we needed God to show up. It was because of that that God did show up and sent us to go preach on a train station platform on College Avenue Station in New Brunswick, New Jersey. I'm a preacher of the gospel today because of my despair because of the difficulty, because of the hardship, because of the weeping, because that is what made me hungry for God. Are you hungry for God? Do you take the difficult situations in your life and turn them to God, or are you just in the business of acting as if you're a microwave and asking God to quickly get you out of the situation? Listen, the situation can be the very thing that God allows, even orchestrates in your life. Listen, 
to make you thirsty for the God who otherwise you would miss. Rich people are missing God all the time. Yes, they've got the here and now. Their reward is right here and now. That's what Jesus says. Luke chapter 6, verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. You know, when Jesus said it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle, there have been all types of illustrations drawn about that concept that this was an idea of a door in the Middle East that was called the eye of a needle, and in order for a camel to get through it, the camel would have to go down on both knees and scrunch down, and they'd have to shimmy this camel through what was called the eye of the needle, and it sounds like a great sermon illustration, but the fact of the matter is, it's not true. There's no such thing as the eye of a needle. You've probably heard it. I actually preached it one time until I did more research on it. There is no such thing, definitively, definitively speaking, anywhere to be found where there was such a thing as the eye of a needle, a doorway through which a camel would have to squeeze. And if that's the case, then what is Jesus talking about? It's not possible for a rich person who depends upon themselves to get through the eye of a needle. It's not, what he's saying is it's not possible for a camel to get through literally the eye of a needle that's used in threading, used for making fabric. He's comparing the impossibility, the bizarrity. That's why they are absolutely astonished at Jesus' teaching. Their draws drop because Jesus is saying, until you realize how spiritually poor you are, until you realize how absolutely destitute you are, apart from God, your money won't save you. Your secure position, humanly speaking, in the here and now, the consolation that you have right here and now, means nothing in light of eternity. Jesus is looking for some people who are interested in delayed gratification. Delayed gratification, people who are interested in the kingdom of God here and now. You know, I'll take my reward later on materially, thank you. I'll take my comfort later on, thank you. I'll take my laughter later on. But right here and right now, we have work to do. Right here and right now, I want to recognize my own need spiritually for God that there is no way this side of eternity, that I can rescue myself, that I can save myself. I want to be poor. I want to be hungry. I want to be weak, and I want to be weepy now. I don't want things that are going to cloud my vision for eternity. I don't want things that are going to set me off track I don't want things that are going to disqualify me for giving glory to God. Do you realize that right now the most important endeavor in your life is the glory of God? Do you realize that? You will either be a God glorifier or you will be a people pleaser. You will either be a God glorifier or you will be pursuing something other than the glory of God. There's a whole lot 
that you can pursue apart from the glory of God. A whole lot. Name your drug. Name your candy. Name your pleasure. You can pursue it. You can work hard at it. You can ask God to bless you in it. And he even will bless you. That's the humility of God. You can pick whatever it is that you want, but it's not going to last forever. The Bible says the man who does the will of God will live forever. There is the glory of God, and then there is everything else. Everything else or the glory of God. You can have the kingdom of God now and later, or you can have the kingdom of man now. And the kingdom of God, never. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who are hungry because the kingdom of God is yours. And when you have the kingdom of God here and now, you don't just have it here and now, you also have it then and there. What do I mean by that? 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Powerful passage of scripture. This idea of eternal life, you know, today is the day to remember eternity. It's where you're going to spend all of your time. Today is the day to remember eternity, my friends. It's where you're going to spend all of your time. One place or another. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, look at what it says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Present tense, that you might know that you have right here and right now eternal life. Well, what does that mean, Mike? What are you saying by that? I thought eternal life was something in the future. It is something in the future. Well, that doesn't, well, if it's something in the future, then why is this verse seeming to indicate to us that we can have certainty right here, right now, about eternal life in the future because eternal life is not just something in the future. It's also something that begins right here and right now. When you're poor, when you're hungry, when you're weepy, when you realize your need for God, the disciples, the ones who are following Jesus are those whom the kingdom of God is being given to because they're realizing and recognizing their spiritual need. They're following Jesus. They're recognizing their need. Listen, put things into context here. Words, phrases, sentences, paragraphs, chapters that we have in the scriptures. Put things together. Who's following Jesus? The sick people. People who had tried everything else and they could get no kind of a remedy, no type of a cure from any doctor down here below. They had to go to the great physician. Who's following Jesus? People with demonic issues. You've got a demonic issue. You think, what would God want to do with me? I've got a demonic issue. Take a lesson from Jesus. You're exactly the kind of person that Jesus wants to set free. Exactly the kind of a person that Jesus wants to set free. All the people that are following Jesus are the misfits. You don't see the Pharisees following Jesus. None of the Pharisees was baptized by John the Baptist. None of the Pharisees we've seen yet has come to Jesus 
and recognized their need and humbled themselves before him. It's the outcasts. It's the poor people. It's the hungry people. It's the people whose hearts have been pierced. It's the needy people who recognize their need for God. And Jesus says, blessed, blessed, blessed. You can have the kingdom of God right here and right now and in the future. Eternal life is something that begins now with faith in Christ and continues forever. Or you can give that up. Settle for anything and everything else apart from the glory of God. Pick whatever it is you want. Deceive yourself however much you want to. Massage it, caress it, invest in it, pour yourself into it, stay up late, get up early in the morning. Some of us are tired of doing that. God will even allow you to do it. God will even bless you in the process until you come to realize, you know what? I'm tired. It's better to be poor and hungry and weepy and be blessed than to be rich and full and happy and miss out on the presence and blessing of God. Interesting what Jesus does here. Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. If you ever feel like an outcast, Jesus can identify. If you feel like a square peg in a round hole, Jesus can identify. He understands what it's like to feel like a misfit. And those who are really following Jesus are on the journey of misfits. You will be an outcast. People will hate you. They will scorn you. They will mock you. They will make fun of you. Because what does Jesus say? They will spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Again, Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. And here's where, it's com- where it comes from. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is as an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus, again, is referring to himself in such a way that the people in Jesus' day would make no mistake about it. He is clearly teaching that he is that one spoken of in the Old Testament, the one who all people are going to worship, all people are going to serve. Jesus is either being audacious or he's being accurate. He's either being absolutely audacious or he's being absolutely accurate. And we know that he's being accurate. He's healing the sick. Power is coming out of him. The demons are fleeing. And Jesus is teaching. And he's not a lunatic. He is Lord. And he's helping them understand that right here in the right now, you will be persecuted if you're really a follower of Jesus Christ. Beware when all people speak well of you. If there's not persecution and difficulty in your life because you're following Jesus, then guess what? There's probably a good indication that you're not really following Jesus. There's got to be some poverty. There's got to be some hunger. There's got to be some weeping in your life. There's got to be a void in your life that only God can fill. The lack will open up the door to God's provision, his blessing. 
And Jesus is describing here the conditions of what happens to a person. What goes on in a person's mind? What goes on in a person's heart? What goes on in the deepest recesses of a person that causes them to be spiritually hungry and opens the floodgates of heaven? You've got to be poor. You've got to be hungry. You've got to be sorrowful. You've got to have a holy discontentedness in your life where you recognize, I need God to show up and to help me. I need God to show up and help me. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says, You're going to be treated the way they treated the prophets sent by God, the men of God in the Old Testament. Verse 23, rejoice in that day when people revile you, when people persecute you, when they treat you inappropriately, uncomfortably because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, rejoice in that day, leap for joy and behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 38 Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 38, beginning in verse 1. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. Thus says the Lord, he who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. This is God speaking prophetically through his servant Jeremiah. God was going to bring judgment against his people because disobedience brings the disciplinary hand of God. Remember that the next time you see our nation heaving over calamity and difficulty. The Bible does say, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Not the nation who has a God, but whose God is Yahweh, the God of the Bible. This nation has forsaken our God. Don't don't let these revisionist historians tell you this. Don't let people in young church planting movements tell you that this country was never a Christian country. They're too young to understand their history. They think they're wise. They think they're smart. I've heard them. I've had dialogues with them. There are a lot of young church planters in hip-happening young churches who continually teach this gobbledygook that this country was not based on Christian principles. When a nation leaves their God, God will leave that nation. This is what God was telling the people through his servant, Jeremiah. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, but he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, this city city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. Then the official said to the king, let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in this city. In the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. In other words, rather than receiving from God the word of warning, they want to shoot the messenger. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but he was. A warning from God is always for the benefit of the people. A warning for this nation, the United States of America, to turn to God is not because God hates us, it's because God loves us. And God will do to this nation the same as he's done historically. We have multitude of precedent after precedent after precedent in the scriptures. When a nation does not heed the word of God, when a nation will not yield to the warnings of God, God will speak louder, God will speak more clearly, and the nation will continue on its way to destruction. That's the way it works biblically. We don't like to hear that, but if we don't like to hear it, then let's repent. Let's ask God to save us while there's still time. 
the king doesn't understand the voice of God. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. That's the kind of persecution that can come to a man or woman or a boy or girl that might actually even be coming to this country when you really stand for Jesus Christ. Is that what it means to be blessed this side of eternity, to be thrown into the bottom of a cistern and sink in the mud? That certainly is not blessing, humanly speaking. That's certainly not material possessions. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, warning the nation to turn back to a God that they've forsaken. And they didn't listen. He he preached and prophesied for 70 years. And the people didn't turn and didn't repent. Jeremiah is one of multitude of examples of what God's people who were not walking with the God they professed did to the man of God when God was speaking through him. Certainly we wouldn't say that Jeremiah was blessed materially. Certainly we wouldn't say that he was protected from harm and hardship. If anything, he was a man of sorrows. He was a man who had absolute need. He needed somebody else. He happens to be an Ethiopian eunuch, interestingly enough. Where have we heard of an Ethiopian eunuch being used by God before? In the Old Testament, in that passage in Jeremiah, an Ethiopian eunuch is the one who comes. Not one of God's own people, an Ethiopian, somebody from another nation comes and rescues him. And Jesus says, that's what it's like. That's what you can expect. When you're really following God, there must be persecution, there must be difficulty and their hardship. And Jesus says, rejoice in that day. It's the reversed standard version. Rejoice in that day. Are you rejoicing over your persecutions for the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus? Are you celebrating the lack in your life as the open door for the outpouring of the blessing of God? Are you catching all of the needs in your life and recognizing that God has given you those needs so that he can bless you? Are you moping and groping and down because you think you've missed out on the blessing of God when actually your need and your lack and your hunger and your sorrow and your poverty is the very thing that God has given you as a blessing? been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.